four, three, two. Welcome to another episode of Knives Monroe versus the podcast. I'm Knives Monroe. How you guys doing? Hopefully you're doing well. JR, let's just get all the bullshit out of the way. You've been on the show many times, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. And honestly, I was really, uh, this is like kind of just like my own thing in my head. But when I saw Claire was on the show again, I was like, oh, I can be on the show again. Because in my mind, I never want to be on the show more than her. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, man, it's funny. No, I mean, be on as many times as you want. It's cool. You're always invited. I, you know, I can tell a podcast goes well when after I record with somebody, they're like, let's do this every week. I'm like, really? You want to? That's cool. Um, so whatever, man, it's it's totally fun. Um, to provide context for the listeners, a lot's happened since the last time we talked. Um, you're in New York City right now. New York is a shit show mm-hmm. from from what it looks like over here in Texas. So how are you holding up with this epidemic? Um, I'm doing good. You know, uh, so I was working until like, I guess, a week ago now. And I just started not feeling comfortable going to work anymore just because of the company I work for, which I won't name. And and now I'm just kind of been inside. And like the and the most surreal thing about it for me is like every few minutes or maybe I'm exaggerating, but like at least every few hours I hear like ambulances and it wasn't like that all the time, you know? So it's kind of like, I know uh, people aren't dying. People are getting like really sick yeah. and that's kind of uh, surreal. I also have just like a fear of like, of like, uh, you know, going outside sometimes, but I mean, most, most of the time it feels all right. Cause I'm just staying inside. Yeah, man. How, how are your friends, your roommates and how's Laura? Well, Laura's good. She's, uh, she's actually, painting right now behind me which i won't show but <laughs> but she's uh she's doing good she's she's loving it uh i think i don't know she's like uh she's she was concerned because like much like me she thinks about stuff too much and then she starts panicking so i think she was like really scared about like getting other people sick or something which i was like well, who even knows if we're sick like don't worry if you're gonna if you need to go to the grocery store just go you know but that's just mm. where she was at i guess yeah are you guys um like, how do you guys get your groceries? Are you ordering from DoorDash or something? Uber Eats? No, no. I mean, for, for me, I still feel uh, the best way for, for us is just go to a grocery store nearby. Because we live in Brooklyn. And Brooklyn hasn't, it's been hit hard, but, like, our grocery stores haven't been hit hard. Mm-hmm. Like, in um, in Manhattan, uh, like, there's empty shelves everywhere. Uh, <laughs> it's just, like, it's, it's kind of crazy over there. In Brooklyn, you can still get, like, some canned food and... And some vegetables that last, and you can't really do that in Manhattan. Yeah, man, it's funny. Like, um, there's this. I hope it's not racist to say uh, there's this convenience store that's owned by these Indians. That I, it's my favorite store, and uh, we just call it the Indian store because it doesn't have a name. And I remember the the fir- after the first ten days of so after South by got canceled, ten days after that, it got, it got weird. And I'd go to this store just to get snacks, you know, like bear quarantine essentials, like Twix, shit like that. And um, I asked the guys, you know, because I have a 
I talk to them all the time. I see them like, you know, I visit that store every other day or whatever. And I'm like, how are you guys doing? How's business? You know? And they're like, we're good. You know, it's not even, it's nothing, you know, uh, it's like nothing's changed. If anything, more people are coming. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Next time I go back there about a week later, they have, everything's glassed up. They got the masks, they got the gloves, hand sanitizers everywhere. Everybody in there, it's like a ghost town and they're six feet apart. And I was just like, oh, it got, it got weird. Cause in the beginning they didn't, it didn't, they didn't really care. And now how can you not? So it's changed like the dynamic around here. It's, you could film a apocalypse genre movie like right now and get away with the production yeah. value. Cause some things are just, especially if you drive after sundown, nobody's like, there's nothing, there's nothing. And so, I mean, at least earth, you know, the carbon emissions are down and stuff like that. Like I'm glad the planet is doing okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a different dynamic. And me personally, I don't want to get into like theory territory because I don't know anything. I'm just a dumbass artist, um, which is why I don't really speak too publicly about all this because I don't know anything. I'm optimistic, but we don't know how long this is going to really last, right? This could be several months. I mean, we don't know. So I can't wait till we get back to normal and, uh, and see things how they used to be. Cause I think we all took it for granted. Just simple things like going to the movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Going to see WrestleMania. <laughs> That's going to be a shit show. So you, you're, you're the one that brought it up, man. Um, real quick before we get into this 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 topic proper the dark side of the ring um vice's story about chris benoit and i'm dying to know what you think about that and maybe i'll pull some clip up clips up if you want but um the last episode that i had yesterday we talked about um the notorious infamous i call it the fantasy cut this is me kind of like taking a page out of donald trump's book and and kind of just negging it you know but um the fantasy cut, Zack Snyder's supposed cut. Um, I know you wanted to put a little pin on that note. Um, I'm curious because you and I have probably never talked about that. What What are your whole thoughts on on that? Yeah. So uh, as you, as you know, but maybe audience doesn't. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of Man of Steel. Uh, I've never been a big fan of Zack Snyder proper. Like I, you know, I think Dawn of the Dead is all right, <laughs> uh, but. A few years ago, I saw like Batman v Superman, the director's cut, and I thought it was pretty good. You know, like I won't lie. I know some people that think it's like the best movie, like the best superhero film or whatever, but I thought it was all right. Yeah. And with Justice League, the reason why I was kind of surprised where you were coming from was to me, like when I watched the movie, that's not a Zack Snyder film. And like mm. you can say you can say whatever you want. Like mm-hmm. I, you said, like they lost the game or whatever, but mm-hmm. Zack Snyder like didn't direct that film. And that's to me is like what's weird about it, you know, right. because Zack Snyder has such a, a unique style. And when you bring in Joss Whedon, who's like, no offense, a TV director, it's <laughs> it's a big difference. Golly, he's made some good movies, man. <laughs> I know, but he's a TV director, man. You can't. Whoa. Some some things don't rub off. OK. You know, <laughs> and, okay. and I. And and it's it's not a visually appealing movie. And no matter mm-hmm. what I say about Zack Snyder's films, like uh, they're cool to look at sometimes. And I just didn't feel like Justice League was that. And you watch the trailers, and you can see that they reshot scenes. Ben Affleck gained like forty pounds. Like yeah. <laughs> it's like the weirdest thing to me. Yeah. So 
I don't know if the if the cut is done. All I know is I've seen some animatics that supposedly got leaked, mm-hmm. and the movie looks totally different. And mm-hmm. I. I think there is a Snyder cut and I just don't understand why they don't let him release it. Like to me, like that's what it's all about. Like there's this idea. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'll let you finish your thought. Oh yeah. There's this like, so anyways, my final pin. Yeah. And this is all I wanted to say was the reason why I like the Snyder cut fans is because it's kind of like a way for the audience to like ask for directors to get more power again. And the studio He's not used to that, you know, like everyone's used to uh, Kevin Feige, you know, whatever mm-hmm. his name is, like mm-hmm. being the God and directors of secondary. Mm-hmm. And and with Warner Brothers, they thought they could do something similar. But, uh, you know, the fans are just saying, like, no, we want to see Snyder's film. We don't want to see Warner Brothers film. We don't want to see this. And I think that's kind of cool, at least in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, I don't. I didn't get to say this on the podcast last night, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because yeah, hopefully sure. people that care about ne- wrestling... Neither of us are like, neither yeah. of us are like huge... I'm not. Huge justice and, and, and I will say, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm glad that you noted that you were surprised on how I felt about this, you know, because I did like Man of Steel. I did like BVS. Um, I've gone on record saying that for sure. But there's this entitlement with the audience that they they are owed this movie. Nobody's owed shit. I mean, especially when it comes to entertainment. It's like uh it's like you remember the Royal Rumble where Vince McMahon won? It's like still bitching about that and wanting that vetoed today. It's like guys, this is entertainment. You know, no, like it's designed to get heat in a way. Like Warner Brothers doesn't give a fuck about the lore and mythology and and most of these studios don't care about directors, and directors don't have that power. And I don't think most people know that. They think, like, Zach owns everything. Like, he owns yeah. the yeah, Batman owned- IP, and, and he doesn't. Uh, last thing I'll say, yeah. and I didn't get to say this yesterday. Um, I said it off mic to Christian. You know, it. imagine, like, your favorite football team goes to the Super Bowl, and the quarterback gets injured, and then they lose the game. And... Imagine wanting them to redo the Super Bowl because you know that your quarterback has touchdowns in him. That's this whole debacle to me. Unfortunately, Zack Snyder's daughter committed suicide. He didn't get to finish the movie. They The show must go on. They finished it without him. It's not the cut that everybody wanted, even though if it was what they wanted, they would still be bitching about it, I think. Um, I did tell Christian... If Joss just edited the movie with the footage that Zach filmed, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But it's the fact that he asserted his vision that people can't swallow that. And it's like sometimes movies are bad. Sometimes your favorite team at the Super Bowl loses. It's just what it is. There's How can you not talk about this without talking about butthurt, entitled fans who think they deserve this? I feel bad for Zach. He needs to make something else and get all his, you know, and change the conversation. But I don't appreciate this living in the past sort of mentality. Like I concluded yesterday that those people, whether if you're 50 years old or 15 that are released the Snyder Cut fanatics, I've concluded that these are people who have not let go of their childhood and want that to be intact. But let's be honest, like nothing, nothing has an obligation to 
keep your childhood intact when it comes to entertainment. So I feel like I'm the grown up in this conversation that's like, guys, 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 like grow up a little. And it's 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 a it's a shitty place to be, because for me, I don't think I love anything the way these guys love that series. I don't think I there's anything in my life that I love more than that. You know, obviously my kids, but I'm not (laughs) my kids aren't anybody else's problem. No one cares how I raise my kids, you know, so I don't have to be vocal about that. But anyway, so that quarterback analogy is where I was coming from yesterday. Yeah. And and I, and I totally get that. And, and, um, and I agree with you. I think, you know, I think a lot of people should stop caring about it because I I did agree with one part, which is like, it's not like Zack Snyder had control from the very beginning. Like Christian had that whole point that like they re-edited Man of Steel, they re-edited batman v superman like if you watch the director's cut from batman v superman i think it's a totally different film i guess like my whole thing is if the fans want it like jeremy like just show them the the rough cut with this bad cgi and the extra scenes because a lot of the stuff that people are talking about have been shot and have been automatic a little bit you know what i mean Sure. sure so but yeah i mean in the end i do agree that they should probably just move on but i i, I guess i get where they're coming from. I just, you know, like you, I don't really like any one movie series that much because I see them as like products, you know? Of course. I would say like, um, did you get to watch Netflix's Tiger King? Uh, No. (laughs) Was it good? You would dig it the most. I'll just leave it at that. Um, But as you're watching it, as someone who makes documentary films and makes narratives, like I'm thinking, how did they do this? And also, what a wet dream for a documentarian to fall into this subject matter. And it took five years of filming, right, to make this thing. And if you're a release of Snyder Cut fanatic and you have some filmmaking blood in you, go make a documentary about this. Like, do what they did in Vice and go make a documentary and interview Zach and interview Joss and interview these people and release release a documentary about this or something. Like I said last night... Joss and Zach should be on a podcast. There's no reason why they can't to to give these fans some sort of closure or something. Uh, but there's like a weird. I feel like this is a warped shoot at this point. Like there's so much like. Um, oh yeah. The the, the, you, the you fantasy know? component of people want to keep this imagination in their head intact. They don't want the reality. They actually can't cope with it for some reason. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and I guess like the the. <laughs> Just because you mentioned wrestling, I got to mention it. I did wonder, like, when it was really ramping up, like, around, I don't know, when, like, Comic-Con, like, when they did that whole billboard and thing and, and all that stuff. I was like, is this, like, a shoot or is this, like, work? You yeah, know what I mean? Like, like I, bit. the way Zack Snyder and Ben Affleck and Moa got in there, I was like, are they working us right now? Yeah. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, like, if the movie's done, just show it. And if it's not, then why are you working the fans? You know what I mean? But whatever. Sure. <laughs> I, who knows, really? I, I don't get it. But, um, you know, and I, I said last night that, um, you know, I made a movie that I don't have a copy of. And you've never seen. And I put my own money, blood, sweat, and tears into that. And I've taken all the bullets and all the L's that have come with it. And I've never been like, release the Knives Monroe cut. You know, like I've never gone on a soapbox about it and asked people to rally up behind me and, you know. Okay, but. I've never can, done can I that ask, like, with can, my own can I ask a, Yeah, and I get that. But can I ask a hypothetical to you really Absolutely. quick? So that movie never like actually got a proper release. So here's the hypothetical. Let's it say got a theatrical release. 
Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean, but not, it's not like online or whatever, right? No, no. So let's say, let's say if they did a, a proper release, they released it, whatever, Amazon Prime, right, or sure. YouTube or whatever. Yeah. And they they changed large parts of what you had shown yep. to the audience when I was there. Uh huh. But they kept your name in there as director. You wouldn't feel a little sore about that? Yeah, of course, I'd feel sore about it. But I would take the L. I would take the loss and move on. I wouldn't tell people to change it. And I wouldn't tell people, dude, my cut is better. Release my <laughs> cut. Even if they filmed 50%, like if the movie that they release, 50% like totally of it new. is like stuff that we did not film in 2014. Like even if they did that, look, a part of me hopes that they do that. Like they need to release something. At this point, I'm like, I don't care if my name is on it. Like I don't care. Like I, I, I truly, truly not in a macho way. Like I, I don't care because... It's like a, it's like an ex-girlfriend. Like, I don't give a fuck what she's doing right now. Like I'm happily married yep. with a whole nother life. You know, like I, I really don't care. Uh, it, it feels like that. Um, and that's because that, trust me, like I didn't lose my daughter to suicide. Right. But I know what if I know yep. what PTA feels like with heart eight, having them change from Sydney to heart eight, what Guillermo feels, you know, with, I think it was mimic, right. Uh, how they fucked his movie and, it happens. It totally happens. Like I wear it like a badge of honor, you know, that that there's a sort of cult idea of like, man, knives didn't get to or this happened or there's a sort of like mythology behind it. Like I don't I don't care at this point. Like I had to tell myself and I told myself pretty early in 2014, like, look, I got a thousand movies in me. I'm not going to cry about one. It's just what it is. And so and I feel the same thing with Zach. Like, dude, go make a Punisher movie or something like go Go make another sucker punch. Like, do something else, man. Like, you could do anything. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, man. Um, so uh, let's talk about wrestling. Um, of course. You had mentioned in the group chat that this thing came out, and I remember being like, "No, nah, I'm good. I don't want to watch it." And it's because I didn't know. I didn't. I, I thought it was like um like an a in a and e sort of um fan-made like, like lifetime I movie yeah. I, I thought it was something like that like i thought it was um i didn't know it's gonna have the family's involvement i didn't know chavo and jericho were in it i didn't know vice produced it and so when it came up on my radar i was like oh 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 shit i have to watch this i have to i don't want to i have to and mm -hmm. uh i checked out part one and the next day i was lucky uh part two came out man but um I'm curious, like, what was that viewing experience for you like? And if you want to shed some backstory on being young in 2007 and what that meant to you, I will say, just to kind of set the tone, I saw a YouTube comment. It was the number one liked YouTube comment um, on the Vice Dark Side of the Ring, Benoit, part one. And the YouTube comment said something like, okay, kids, imagine if AJ Styles murdered his wife, family, and killed himself. That's what that felt like in 2007. It came, it, it came that out of nowhere and was that shocking. And I'm like, oh shit, that is what it would be like for people today. So it was completely, yeah. it was nuts back in the day, man. But you know, walk me through it. Okay, so uh, I guess I was like 13 when it happened, right? I I, I don't know, but I grew, up, I had grown up as like the biggest wrestling fan. I had ordered like every pay per view. I watched every Raw and SmackDown, and I was like always more of a SmackDown guy because my favorite wrestlers growing up were uh, Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle, Eddie, you know, like all the SmackDown wrestlers, John Cena. Yeah. And 
And as you grow up, like you either become less of a wrestling fan or you become a diehard wrestling fan. And I was like on the on the side that was going to become a diehard wrestling fan. And then Eddie died, right? Yeah. And I, I remember thinking like, oh, this is kind of weird. He died of a heart failure. He was only 38 or something, right? And I already felt like a kind of icky at that point. So I stopped watching every week. You know, I'm still going to watch the wrestling pay-per-views though. And then when Chris Benoit died, I watched a tribute show and I was sad and I was like, man, that's a real bummer. Like, and then in my head, I was thinking, I'm probably not going to watch this anymore. It like kills its uh, workers, you know? And then hmm. when the details came out about what happened, it was like, I don't know if I could ever watch this guy again. And I've talked to Dave about this before because Dave's a little bit more, I would say like, you know, separate the art from the artist type of guy. Mm. Um, but I was like, mm, no, I can't do it. Like I haven't watched a Crispin Wall match since then. Like, really? And my favorite match of all time was him and Kurt Angle in November 2003 or yep. something. Yeah. Yep. And it's just, it, it was, it was weird because I, at the time everyone was saying it was roid rage and I knew how many wrestlers were doing steroids, you know, so it just, it felt it felt weird to me. And I I kind of stopped watching wrestling until uh, Darren O'Brien uh, ended up winning WrestleMania 30. That was the first movie you had saw. Yeah, and you were making a, you were making a movie about wrestling at that time, which I think is worth yeah. noting. Oh yeah, yeah. You can't true. make a movie was, yeah. about wrestling if you weren't ever in love with it. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I was the biggest wrestling fan. Like, I would watch the the Indies. I would watch TNA. I would. I did everything you know, someone could do. And, and I think it's, it's always going to be my DNA. You know, like you said, I did a wrestling movie about it and the wrestlers who spread the script or saw the movie were like, Oh, you really got it. And I was like, yeah, of course I got it. Like, I, like I, my first book I ever read was the Mick Foley autobiography, you know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. have a nice day like, right? was, or Foley is good or yeah. one of those. Yeah. Yeah. I read all of them, you know, the Chris Jericho biography, the Kurt Angle one, even though it wasn't very good. I read it. Like I was, I was hardcore. Like I used to have the, um, the Eddie DVD and the Chris Benoit DVD, like those are two of my favorites. And it's, and it's really weird because they were made before they even died, you know? And I, and I think about that sometimes, like how wrestling always eulogizes its workers while it's, while they're still alive, you know? Ooh, eulogizes their workers. Is that what you think they're doing? Yeah. I wanted to say like, I remember when Dusty died and Dusty was an older wrestler, so it was a little bit more understandable, but they had him like have that goodbye where he was like, until until next time, see ya. And he's like waving, and it's like for like the end of something. But the way he says it, it's almost like they know he's gonna die sooner or later. You or, know, I feel like wrestlers always know they're gonna die young, like, and that's like maybe what's warrior too, right? That's spooky. Yeah, it's just how it's how it's always been. Like, yeah, you know, hmm. and and I see that when I watch wrestling, and it, it and that's why like I've never been able to watch it like I used to. And maybe it's because the product isn't as isn't good, but you know. Dirty because maybe the product was never that good, <laughs> but but um, I don't know. I just I just kind of fell out of love with wrestling around that time, and I think uh, so did my older brother, who was a big wrestling fan. And and then uh, the Benoit incident, it just kind of like I don't know. It just kind of killed it killed killed something in me, you know. Like not to take light of it, but it was just I can't I can't really watch wrestling the same way. Like like I was watching with Laura, and Laura was like really into the uh, the documentary, and then. I told her, and all of a sudden, like, like weird, like tears. I was like, that moment at WrestleMania 20 was like the best moment I had ever seen in wrestling, and now it's like, mm-hmm. what is that? You know? Fuck, man. Um, damn, this is terrible. Um, 
I will say that the it's weird. Um, Netflix released Beyond the what's it called? No, Beyond the Mat. And oh yeah, I, I rewatched it. that recently. Too. Same. I had seen it before. It has the most hideous cover of all time. Like it's so. It, it you don't want to watch it with that cover it looks like shit and they never changed yeah, I, it but um I, I, I remember as a kid i i always wanted to get it because i thought it was just like a regular wrestling vhs yeah. thing because i just rented all those at hollywood video yeah and i i just never could because i was like that cover looks really nasty it's like i know what you're talking about it has like the mankind and the rock and Terry Funk. it's <laughs> it's repellent like it's like i don't want to watch this but um saw that and i watched it with my son and um I have to make him watch things sometimes, but just to be like, put your phone down and let's watch this. And then we'll play basketball afterwards. He's like, okay, he'll sit down and it gets to the Foley segment. And he's like, that's messed up. Why did he do that? And I was like, this is the first time as an adult watching this with kids that I was like, man, Mick, like, and just for the audience, this is so inside baseball, but you know, there's a match with him and the rock and the rock hits him over the head with the steel chair maybe like over a dozen times 15 times or something and yeah, uh it was, it was sick yeah. it's terrible it's terrible and uh and his daughter's there and seeing noel um like at six years old watching her dad like he's dying as far as she's concerned and then yeah. they sh and then the best part is they show the footage to mick watching his wife and kids cry in the front row and he's like i feel like a bad dad right now he's like i can never do that again and he later went on to do even more gnarlier things but not with his family present and so as i was watching this documentary i started feeling really guilty the the vice documentary about benoit mm -hmm. and i started feeling like a little compliant or complicit like in this there's one thing i think jericho says like and it's a testosterone thing like it's a male thing about especially back in the day taking pride and who could take like the the best chair shot um i cannot help but feel really guilty about this right now well and, and, and not to not to i don't know if you even want to talk about this so i apologize I'll talk about everything man be, yeah you used to be a backyard wrestler yeah and you took unprotected shots to the head yeah i didn't even and know I, that you couldn't like it was it was a uh, there was a receipt factor of like if I hit someone I knew they were gonna get me back and vice versa. If someone got me, I was gonna yeah. get them. And man, when you're young, you know, gosh, I, I was taking them from like fourteen to twenty, twenty one maybe, like formative brain forming years. And these are like I can remember one in particular. My me and my buddies we wrestled at school. Somebody has this footage out there. I know Mo has it. Mo has this footage. So Mo, if you're listening upload this um on youtube or something but and i called the spot and i was inspired by jbl and eddie guerrero their oh, their bull rope match where eddie takes the most god-awful chair shot of all time mm -hmm. cuts his fucking head wide open and i remember i called the spot with my friend juno i was on my knees and i said i said fucking hit me in the head with the chair right and we had an audience i remember he goes boom thwack and since I was on my knees, like I could, I couldn't, um, there was no like accordion effect with like yeah. my, my spine. And like, so it was just, I remember just like, it felt like it, it was terrible. And I, I gained consciousness. I don't know how many hours later in the back 
of my cousin's van. And I just remember he was pumping gas. And I was like, how did I get here? Why am I in the trunk? Am I okay? And I wasn't, you know, and, but I was proud to look back at that footage and, and you felt like a little legend. You you were like, I could do that. No one else can do it. Top that. Like there's such a, and I will say there's a, there's a, there's a theatrical component to that, like a performance. It's like Tom Cruise, you know, uh, the closest you can get anyway to feeling like you're riding a jet, a jet, you know, like Tom's actually doing in this new, uh, what's it called? Need for speed. No. What's it called? Uh, Top Gun. Top Gun. (laughs) Um, You feel like that. You're like, I'm doing my own stunts and you're you're proud of it. And that's just one. That's just one day. I mean, I wrestled hundreds of matches, you know, with my friends and we fucked each other up. And that's nothing compared to what these grown ass jacked, you know, 250 pound men are doing to each other. And Foley had a decades long career and he, that was his thing. He would get beat up and it's just like, why would anyone allow that, I guess? And then um, second thing is, I, I'm not sure if you remember this. You probably do because you were a big wrestling fan. But you remember Lance Storm never really went full force with his chair shots? And he would get booed? No, I, I never knew that. Yeah, he, and ECW, if you can look it up. Hmm. Uh, he used to just get booed mercifully, like like a lot. Uh, because he wasn't like hitting his opponents too hard with the chair shots. Hmm. And I think about that now because I remember at the time I was like, oh, Lance total loser that's why he can never get over and mm-hmm. and it's just like he had the right idea you know <laughs> like you didn't have to hurt anyone <laughs> like like just you didn't have to put the full gas on it you know and now and now they don't like do it like that anymore but man i think about what guys like shane mcmahon went through uh mcfoley you know and shane only wrestled a handful of times but those handful of times he he got severe like brain damage even to this day he still does mm-hmm. and um I don't know. It just, it, it makes it, I guess like wrestling to me is just like, like what, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. Like it's, it's, it's like, gnarly, man. Um, I think we appreciate it because it's entertainment, right? And it's, there's a, if you're really good at it, we, we, we hold these wrestlers to a pedestal, like, uh, especially in the nineties, man, and early two thousands, really, really pre Crispin wall tragedy. Um, the more graphic and gnarly a match or a, or an angle, the better it was considered. Like, you know, one of the greatest, most revered matches of all time is Brett and Austin. And there's there's a moment of gore. There's a moment of viscera that was so iconic. They printed Austin's bleeding face on T-shirts, you know. And I remember this is I, I, I love telling this story because it just seems so bizarre now. But um, I remember being in fifth grade. And I brought WrestleMania 13 to school. And before like 9 a.m., our teacher let us do that and show there was a like a TV VCR in class. And if you showed up to school early, like you could show anybody whatever you wanted. And uh, and that sounds really bizarre to say that now. Um, and I remember taking WrestleMania 13, fast forwarding to Austin and Brett, making sure that everybody that I was showing wrestling to and wrestling wasn't cool at the time and showing them the Austin's bleeding face in the sharpshooter and, and being like, isn't this awesome? Like as a nine year old or something being like, look at this, like is, have you you've never seen anything like that? It was like showing your friends porn or something for the first time. Like it was like, I felt like I had to be the person that was going to show them this thing. And I was proud of it. Um, 
looking back, like we love that moment. We love that moment. It it took Austin to another level. It made the company so much money. They printed shirts like Gangbusters. I mean, wrestling is a it's a hardcore sport, man. Like even um even just pure wrestling, like whether if it's like um you know, I don't know, uh, English style, Canadian style, Japanese style, heart, strong style, whatever it is, like not blood and guts wrestling, but just any kind of wrestling. Even just seeing someone give a knife edge chop to someone and, and you know that it fucking hurt. We love mm-hmm. it. Like there's something primal about it. There's something pr- primordial of just like the inner monkey and in all of us comes out and we glorify violence. That's what it is. Like it's stunt choreography, you know, and, and I've been on the camera side i've been in front of the camera i've been the guy getting hit i've i've bladed you know i've gigged and I, it's funny like that's like something nobody wants to talk about and i think uh vice or whoever needs to dedicate a segment to who started that who's the first one to do it who teaches it you know it's nobody taught me to do it i just did it and i did it a few times you know and it was to earn respect of my friends i mean that's pretty fucked up Watching this documentary um, and and seeing notably Jericho saying like yeah it was it, these shots to the head you were proud to do it um, the whole Harley race was like don't do the headbutt and Dynamite Kid does it and he tells everybody don't do the headbutt and then Benoit's like does it it's scary because Daniel Bryan did it for so long you know yeah it, as soon as they were saying that I was like thinking oh Daniel Bryan's doing that now. And he's had his fair share of injuries, you know, and he's back wrestling and I love it. He's my favorite wrestler perhaps ever. Like, I don't, I don't know, but he's up there for me. And, and it's like, man, is it worth it? (laughs) You know what I mean? And like, I guess that's what confuses me. Like I watched his match with Kofi last year. Right. And it was the best match at WrestleMania in my opinion. And the whole time I was thinking, man, like, one bad fall can like really hurt this dude. And I think about that with Edge now because Edge is back. I know. And it's like, why can't wrestlers walk away? I, I was hearing the Spick Foley podcast with Steve Austin. <laughs> and he was saying that like when the doctor told him he could no longer wrestle, this, like he didn't like he wasn't he didn't have to be a tough guy anymore. Hmm. And I, I wish sometimes like wrestlers looked out for each other a little bit better. You know, like, I get why Daniel Bryan and Edge want to wrestle. Like, I don't know if they're struggling with money or if they just have a certain lifestyle they want to keep up. But I think it's, it's for me, it's hard to watch them even acknowledging they're, like, some of my favorites to watch right now. I know. Um, very true. I think about that. Um, in AEW, when, who was it, Sean Spears, um, whatever his WWE name was, I forgot, Ty Dillinger, when he hit Cody Rhodes over the head, busted him open hard way and um i remember seeing that and thinking that was i I felt upset i was like that's fucking stupid like AEW doesn't need to do that and uh i was surprised um that that was almost unanimous across hardcore fans that love blood and blood and guts wrestling you know um most people and even tony khan was like we're not gonna do that that's that's not what we want to do you know we and Cody as well took the bullets and was like, we tried it and everyone's letting us know this isn't going to work, you know? And so we, we, we were going to respect that. And I was like, yeah, it's 2020, man. People know, people know now. And so 
it's scary, but guess what? You know, I talked about WrestleMania spoilers and on Twitter, but there's a ladder match, you know, and so it's they're going to get hurt, man. This is a, a career shorter. Like, it just is what it is. Like, the Usos don't need to be doing this, period, you know. Um, I've seen enough. I've seen enough ladder matches, but guess what? Like, the more fucked up a spot, you know, the Young Bucks were in the most gnarliest TLC match or whatever they called it, ladder match, I've ever seen a Canadian destroyer off a ladder, bro. Mm-hmm. I mean, I w- w- there is no enough's enough when it comes to performers. There, there isn't, man. How many people can actually walk away from anything? I mean, it's like uh, yeah. Mars Scorsese he's still making movies, you know. Uh, but even the characters that he depicts in movies, you know, like these gangsters, they never walk away. Nobody ever makes one million dollars and walks away. It doesn't happen. So maybe it's in our nature to um, fuck ourselves up. I don't know. Yeah, speaking of like old ladder matches, uh, when I watch AJ Styles now, like he's still, you know, phenomenal. But do you don't you ever think like, man, if only he like didn't do like all those X Division matches, <laughs> like, like or whatever those Ultimate X matches. You remember those matches of with course. the old TNA ring? Of course. And the thing that everyone said about that old TNA ring is it had little to no give. Yeah. And I remember this one spot because it was such a beautiful spot <laughs> where he was in the middle of the X and. I forget who he was wrestling. Could have been Chris Sabin or somebody. No. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, something yeah, like that. And Chris they drop Saban. kick him, and he does that like, like backflip, mm-hmm. and he lands like right in the middle of the ring. Mm-hmm. And I think, I wonder if he would like, not look so beaten up now if he didn't do a lot of those spots when he was like in his twenties or whatever or thirties. Who knows? But do you think he looks beaten up? Am I in denial about this? Well, I don't know, man. Just I'm saying, put put on an old age styles match from like even five six years ago and watch him now. He he walks up a limp sometimes, man. Like he just he doesn't look he doesn't look as as good as he used to. Like, and he still can pull out a good match because he's amazing. But it's just like, I don't know. I just I feel bad for wrestlers who felt the need, especially when they were younger, to like, you know, give it give everything, you know. And it just it bums me out. Like I think what how Kurt Angle's career went, and I think how a lot of these wrestlers who aren't Undertaker, who aren't Triple H, uh. You know, they they probably went on for too long and they went on too hard because there was no breaks in wrestling. You know, it's hard, man. I I was rewatching. You mentioned this on you texted me that WWE is re-releasing matches for free on YouTube, like WrestleMania matches. And there was a uh, Triple H and Undertaker wrestled at WrestleMania three times. The second time, I think it's their best, and I enjoyed it. And it was the last time. This was WrestleMania twenty seven. I believe yeah, this was the last yeah, right time that Taker did the suicide dive outside of the oh. ring. And it was bad. And this mm-hmm. guy must have been 49, 50 when he did that. Um, you know, and you ask yourself why there's a sort of, um, there's a sort of, it's just a matter of like, there's a dopamine element to it. There's a adrenaline junkie element to it. There's a glory element to it. And, you know, never underestimate humans' desire to want to be remembered, their legacy, being a legend. Like, there's a selfishness component to Daniel Bryan, uh, who has a, another baby on the way, wanting to... I mean, you saw the sick bump he just took a couple weeks ago on pay-per-view. A yeah. devastating German suplex that you have like 
10 of those in you. And when you're Daniel Bryan, who has so many miles, like, on his tank, on his engine, like, he shouldn't be doing this. When I saw that, I'm like, it's not worth it, man. Your opening match, like, what are you doing, you know? But I know that there's a masochistic sort of, like, uh, Daniel loved it. He called that spot. Like, it's a Daniel Bryan spot. Like, you, you know it. Um, I don't know. Like, it, it, it doesn't end well for anybody, does it? Like, it doesn't. I don't think it does. Yeah, no. It, it really doesn't. Like, I think... Uh... And even like wrestlers from, you know, further back, like Roddy Piper, you know, he died young. And I think, man, Roddy didn't like get beaten up too much, you know, but it's just like that lifestyle is so hard on your body. And it's just like, I wish wrestling would, would realize that and not put these guys on the road 350 days out of the year. Also, <laughs> also with Roddy, like, you know, I'm, you know, what, this guy probably never had kale in his life or something like it, those guys <laughs> back then just went so hard and you know, you drank beer after a match. Who the fuck? Like how many actors, actors, how many wrestlers do that now? You know, but man, I'll tell yeah. you like Dean, Am I'm sorry, John Moxley, Dean Ambrose, like, whoo, this guy goes real hard. Um, but he loves it. It's all he knows. What is the, the exit strategy? What is the end game for these guys? Like they have to name it in the beginning. You know, John got out. He seems to be doing pretty good. Um, Rock got, got out, out very yeah. young. Batista got out, you know, and is that what you have to do? Is that the exit strategy? It's either that or become a, a brain uh, <laughs> neurologist like Chris uh, Nowitzki did. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's 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 weird, man. And and there was like one part in that doc. And, and this is like totally maybe I'm off lines because I never met Benoit. Like, when you hear what Benoit did, and when you hear everyone talk about how much of a good dude he was when he was younger, um, in your mind, what do you think happened? Ooh. Um, I have to say, what's spooky, from what I saw in that documentary, because I, I hadn't gone back to this tragedy since 2007, I will say that when I got the news, it was before the Raw premiered and i remember the tribute show very well because the Me week too. the week before that they did this vince mcmahon killed himself angle and it was like kind of how are they going to address this i thought that was in poor taste at the time and i was 20 no i was 19 <laughs> but i thought it was poor taste at the time and um needless to say i was going to watch raw and so i had heard the news that it was like everybody died my like gut reaction was a murder suicide. I was like, wait a second, that's the only way that can happen. Someone needed to have done that there. Um, yeah, if, and, it, and it, it's it didn't, weird. It didn't sound like it was a home it. invasion. It didn't sound like that. Otherwise, they would have led with that. And I remember feeling like that's, oh no, right? There was an oh no, and then you see Raw, and they did the tribute show as I was watching it because it was live. As I was watching the tribute show, I remember feeling at 19 years old, they should not be doing this. Yeah. But I remember it feeling at the time that I think Vince made that call because how could he how could he do a show, not address it, and how can he do a show and and continue with that Vince McMahon was murdered angle? I think he protected himself, quite frankly, when he did that. 
And I think he was like, um, I rather do this tribute show than have to address that storyline that we did last time. You know, uh, I think it was that. I think it was that. I, the one that sticks with me the most, like the kind of confessional when all the wrestlers are paying tribute is Edge. Have you seen that? Yeah. Edge, you could see it in his eyes. He knew. He knew. Because what he's saying is, he's like, this doesn't make sense. And how could this happen? And he's like, he looks like a hostage. He doesn't really want to talk about paying tribute to Chris Benoit. I think he knew. I think he knew. And how could you not? Like, it, how could you, your brain not go there? And so a couple hours later, it's confirmed. Um, but to answer your your, your question, that's how I felt at the time. And I had not revisited that. So watching this Viceland document, documentary, and you ask yourself, like, what went on through his head, um, it seemed premeditated to me, right? Like, it seemed like yeah. he knew he was going to do it before he did it. I used to think maybe he hurt his wife, Nancy, and was like, oh, fuck, what have I done? And he took out his son and he killed himself out of guilt. I used to think that. I thought that the whole time until I saw this documentary. And now I feel like, oh, no, what's sickening is he premeditated this um, for a long time. And one thing that the documentary suggests is after Eddie died, maybe Chris Benoit was already dead in a lot of ways, you know. Um, I will say that, and this is the first time anybody, I've ever heard this, and I feel really guilty saying this. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I don't want to start a rumor. Um, but think about this. Uh, and I don't know if you've thought about this. I think that, I know where you're going. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, that documentary sort of suggested to me, to me, and whatever, man, um, that there was something deeper on a Brokeback Mountain level between Chris Benoit and Eddie that only they knew. And I thought of Jake Gyllenhaal, who in the movie, Heath Ledger passes away abruptly, and it's terrible. And then it becomes like the third act becomes about grief, right? Um, mm -hmm. Chris Benoit crying in Vicky Guerrero's arms in Vicky's house. And even Vicky's just like, Eddie's yeah. yeah. And even Vicky's like, God damn dude. Like don't cry so much. I think and Chavo said and, and, that. And with all due respect, my brother, JR dies. It's gonna, I'll fall to my knees and I'll cry for sure. You know, um, Dave dies. One of my best friends, like I'll be wrecked. But I think the reaction that Chris took is the reaction I would have if something happened to Claire. Yeah. You know, that's just a whole nother level of gnarliness. Um, and so is that possible is the question. And if it is, it could explain how, you know, inside Chris's heart, he wanted to go right after that. And maybe yeah. he resented himself and Nancy and, I don't know. I, I I don't know. But how could you leave that off the table? Like homosexuality in their era. I mean, didn't um, Chris Canyon kill himself? And he was a homosexual yeah. that was in the closet or something. I mean, and mm -hmm. in, in wrestling, it, it was it was kind of like you got picked on a lot. Like remember Orlando Jordan? I think he was bi. I could be wrong, but yeah. I remember the rumor was, and he got picked on so much that he had to like kind of leave. Like yeah. for wrestling. Did you in think, that time? Did you think I was going to go there? Yeah, hundred percent. Because when I was watching the documentary, I kind of thought the same thing. And then Chavo wow. has that line in what the documentary where he goes, 
the way he was crying made me think of like the way someone cries for a spouse. Oh. And it made me think like Chavo, I think, is kind of implying something there. He just doesn't want to say it. How could he say it? You know, how could he say it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he doesn't want to say it, but it's just like, like, and no one knows, like, we're never going to know this thing. This is all hearsay from us or just stuff we're interpreting. They're like, can kind of see, but I thought the same thing. And, and, uh, going back to what Ben Wall did ultimately is I, I thought the same thing as you, like, maybe it was like a fit of rage, you know, not that it would make it any better, but I thought it was that, but watching the documentary, you realize not only did he kill them, he didn't kill himself right afterwards. He thought about wrestling that Sunday. Yeah. And that to me says like, you know, I know CTA maybe was part of the reason, but I think for sure. I, I don't I think it was him that did it ultimately. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I know even Jericho and Chavo will say that's not him. That wasn't him. Um Yeah. And, you know, David Benoit will will say that wasn't him. Oof. Um, there was like a premeditated component to it that is shocking. And uh, the fact that it took place over three days, um, Vince has said it too. And it, it sounds bad coming from Vince McMahon. Um, I think he has to feel culpable or at least in denial about something. But he did say, um, it's not an act of roid rage where rage is sort of like this moment in time. He's like, this took place over three days. Um, yeah. How could CTE not play a factor, especially when you look at um, the violence in the football community with these guys who essentially lose themselves and like are treated like dogs. They're treated like pit bulls, you know, and uh, it's terrible. And so, I don't know, that documentary, I had to, th I thought about it in that first part um, with Eddie passing. Um, I understand, like, I understand the brotherhood and the love of, like, a fellow compatriot and, and just how intense someone in the foxhole that's with you is. It's love. It's love like no other. Um, it's possible that maybe there was something else between them. It's possible. And if Chris was capable of an atrocity like this, who knows what other secrets he was capable of, of, of keeping from the public. Um, and it changes the context of that WrestleMania 20 celebration, man. It really does. When you look yeah. back at that, I don't yeah, want, yeah. I, I'm not married to this theory. It is like an out there theory, but um, I felt like the subtext was there. And quite frankly, like, um, it seems a little obvious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not yeah. the most, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing about all this, you know? Oh, for sure. Like, especially like, with how much wrestlers travel and they travel together, you know, and you know how close they are, are to, to each other. Like, it's not. It's not out of the question. Like, I remember there was rumors about, like, I forget who. Like, this is so long ago, like, when I was a kid reading this stuff, like, about, like, Raven and, and another wrestler. And it's just, like, hmm. it's all these, like, different things. And the fact that, like, that stuff gets out there. And it was, like, such a big taboo in wrestling at that time. But also show you the frustration that Benoit would carry after that. You know what I mean? Like, he was ashamed of who he was and stuff like that. And then, 
you know, his best friend slash maybe something more, you know, died doing. And Benoit must have known like he died doing what he loved. It was because of that thing that killed him. You know, wrestling killed him. And yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it's it's so bizarre. It's a bizarre story just because like the people involved refuse to acknowledge that Chris Benoit might have actually like done it fully. You know what I mean? Like, like, like I love Jericho, but I feel like sometimes Jericho is like in denial about it. You know what I mean? It's hard. It's hard to know since since we we didn't spend thousands of hours with Chris Benoit. You know, so it's hard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. they would say like, the same thing to me if, or vice versa to you. Let's say I committed this act, and you were like, "That wasn't knives. That's not the guy I know." They would say Jr. doesn't want to accept the truth. You know, so I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true. But I I don't know. Like, uh, like I just feel like you got to be a, like a. You got to be part crazy to do wrestling sometimes. And it's no surprise that wrestlers do like outrageous things sometimes. And I think about, uh, you know, Jake the Snake's dad. You know, I think about different things I've heard about wrestling and it's just like, ugh. You know, uh, if you've ever watched the, I feel bad. Um, If you ever watched the, uh, the page sex tape, She's having um, essentially a threesome with Xavier Woods and Brad Maddox. And yeah. so isn't there like, I've never had a threesome uh, with another man, but um, isn't that like a little gay? Like, isn't, isn't that like a little gay? You can't <laughs> tell me they're the only wrestlers that have ever swung that way before. You can't tell me. And so, yeah. but, but I'll tell you this, like it never would have got out if, if, you know, if people didn't get it out. And so, yeah, the- They've never leaked. No one would even know. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of elements that are secrets that you take to the grave, like in wrestling, for sure. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if there was some. And I mean no disrespect on their names, like not that homosexuality is anything to be ashamed of, but you know there are there are Guerreros that are still out there alive. There are Benoits that are still out there alive, and so I feel bad you know um if in 10 years from now people dig up this podcast and and you know they're like knives how could you say that that's just what the documentary subtext made me feel you know um and i thought of brokeback mountain how could you not yeah no especially after what travel said like that's kind of what kind of flipped it for me like because to me like my mind always kind of goes to like that place where it's just like oh, it sounded a little too close but then like when travel said it was like a spouse i was like oh wait a minute Something was applied there, and you know, yeah. yeah. Like Didn't so, they mention that that, 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 that Chris that, wrote uh, a suicide note? Did they go into depth about that? I don't recall. No, they they didn't, and I've I've actually never seen or heard what that was say, said. But yeah. they did like read his journal entries, like like the one that was like chilling was like Eddie, I'll be with you soon again, or something like that. Like it was just like oh, okay, there it is, you know? there it is, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but man, what a what yeah and this is like just a clip they showed in the documentary but man that chair shot that Chris Benoit took when he was diving out of the ring and Chris Jericho just whacked him that was heavy I remember that I remember that yeah 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 man um yeah it's so it's so bad um I love wrestling I remember when this tragedy happened and the CNN stuff and I, I remember feeling at the time I was like this could end wrestling 
Um, how do you keep going after this? And the company changed its model after that. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it almost, it almost destroyed American. It almost destroyed WWE for sure. And, um, I look back on it now. I can't, I, I very like, you know, I can't watch WWE right now. Uh, it's just so bad. Like the acting is bad. Um, the storylines are terrible. Um, it's very inconsistent. Like if you're watching Game of Thrones or something, you don't want to see a character be good, bad, be good, bad, be good, bad, inconsistent. Like you don't want to see that. And wrestling's very similar. There's a there's a through line, and and WWE is so inconsistent. I can't keep track. And there's too much. It's oversaturation. Um, but I do enjoy AEW because it's two hours a week, and for a year they've been telling like one story essentially. And so it's easy to follow. But, um, I, every now and then, man, like I, I miss the blood. I miss the violence. I miss, um, I mean, Mick Foley was one of my favorite guys as a kid. You know, I miss, I I feel like such a hypocrite because I thought about that too. Like my favorite match as a kid wasn't, um, the, like the Iron Man match with Brad and Sean or like, any of number of Sean's classics. Like my favorite match was the Royal Rumble 2000 Triple H versus McFoley match. And that match is brutal, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. That was a, uh, like a three stages of hell or something, right? Uh, I think it was just the, I think that was the no way out match. The, the Royal Rumble match was just the traditional hardcore match. It was Cactus versus Triple H. Oh, yeah, That's like a, one of my favorite. It was like a street fight. Yeah, like, I remember it very well. Yeah. yeah. And, and he was like, Triple H, I know you've, beating McFoley up and I know you've been a mankind up and I, I don't I can't beat you Triple H but I know someone and he takes off his shirt and it shows the cactus thing and I was just in on it and that was like that to me was like holy crap that was the, the best match but you know like like anytime I hear McFoley talk and he says like he's kind of has trouble remembering things and I'm like oh man what's the next 20 years gonna look like for that guy is he gonna even have 20 years you know gosh I don't know um I don't know he seems he seems very he can speak very well, you know. He's a very intelligent yeah. speaker. He can write a book. Um, so, gosh, who knows? Who knows? He yeah. seems like a very bright, and he seems smarter than than your average wrestler for sure. But um, it's scary, dude. Like Edge coming back. Why? Why? Why do you have to come back, man? He's. I think he's like. I know he's in his forties, but I think he's closer to fifty, man. Yeah, he's he's definitely in his forties because he retired like nine years ago. <laughs> he's forty six. <laughs> like, forty six years old. Yeah, still yeah. a young man for sure. But like to be to be throwing yourself on the ground, you've had two neck surgeries. Um, your finish, your finisher is the spear, man. Like one wrong move, you know, you're banging your head on something. You know, definitely. Um, I, but, um, when he came out in the rumble, I was glad that I was watching the rumble because I had not seen a pay per view since it had been like ten months. Or any show for for WWE, and so I watched it. I was shocked. I, I didn't believe it. I thought we were being punked when Edge came out. I didn't believe any oh, of the, the rumors. But I remember thinking like, this is impossible. That's all I said to myself. This is impossible. Um, I'm surprised. I'm surprised he's. Um, I know they filmed it already between him and Orton. Like, uh, hopefully it's more dramatic than it is uh, punching and kicking and biting and tables and come on Edge. Don't go through a table. Don't don't touch a ladder ever again in your life. Yeah, you took that. You did that one spear off the ladder to who Jeff. was it, Matt Hardy? Jeff, you don't yeah. have you don't got to do anything again. Uh, but uh, I guess to transition a little bit to to uh, wrestling, wrestling, yeah. not not a, a tragedy of Benoit. But um, are you excited for this year's WrestleMania? No, 
Okay, are you going to watch this series WrestleMania? Um, we'll see how the first night goes. I don't care. I feel so bad. I've been yeah. saying that a lot like about the Snyder cut and a lot of things like I don't care. I'm also not invested in like for example, AJ Taker, I don't care. I'm not invested in Goldberg, whatever. He's going to wrestle Braun Strowman. I'm not invested. Uh, I'm not invested in Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens. I'm not invested in um I like Daniel Bryan. He's one of the best. I'm not invested in him and Sami Zayn. I'm not invested even though they're the two the best workers, I agree. Like, who cares? <laughs> it could be a, it could be the match of the of the night. You know, you know, I'm not invested. I'm I I Shayna and Becky could be cool. Like, the, it's a proper sort of like feud. Um, in a traditional sense, I'm very old school. Um, oh, on that note, I think we've talked about this. Um, the wrestler who doesn't get the credit he deserves, and who basically created. The blood feud, in my opinion, is Triple H and his feuds with Shawn Michaels, his feuds with The Undertaker, his feuds with Cactus Jack, his feuds with uh, Chris Benoit, you know, were bloody, personal, 49-minute promo-fused, like, stories, even with Randy Orton and stuff. And so I feel like now that he's gone, we don't see those feuds. And I got spoiled as a kid because I kind of expect that. Um, Randy and Edge <laughs> are sort of doing that. Shayna and Becky are sort of doing that. But not really. Um, and AEW does do that. Everything Cody has done has a sort of blood feud element to it. It's in his blood. Um, but that's what I like about wrestling the most. That's my favorite thing is uh, this one-on-one -on -one grudge match, personal. It gets deeper and deeper, you know, like the Sean Jericho stuff. Like, I like that the most, man. And it, it we don't have that anymore. And so going into WrestleMania, I feel like, you know, the Olympics every four years makes sense. WrestleMania every year, like, it's contrived to me. It's like they have to do it because it's April, you know? And it's like, is that a good reason to do it just because it's April? Like, there wasn't a proper build. And also with this epidemic, like, all signs are pointing to don't do it. And uh, I've been watching very closely the WWE stock. It hasn't been this slow in a very long time, years. And, um, Oof, if this optically is a shit show, I don't know how they recover from this, to be honest. I know that's hyperbolic, but I'm so not invested in this shit at all. Yeah, Wrestling no, is not meant here. to be play, uh, performed in a vacuum. Like You're breaking the law of wrestling um, and having this with no crowd. It makes no fucking sense. Yeah, like seeing Steve Austin kind of do like give me a hell yeah with no crowd i'm like what's the point what's wh why did you fly him out there <laughs> this just this carny show must go on element to it which i respect like on principle but uh the optics are terrible like this could um if you if this is just like in bad taste you could hurt the company you could hurt all these wrestlers um careers and you could expose the business in a way that could be worse than a beyond the mat or something. And so it's just disgusting. And I appreciate what AEW is doing because it's sort of like a stalling. It almost feels like an intermission because you know, they'll come back and their fans will be rabid, but, um, but they're not like WrestleMania is impossible in, in a performance center. It's impossible. Why call yeah. it WrestleMania? You could have called it, you know, um, super show Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Some shit like that. You could have called it, um, you know, COVID smasher, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, 
lean into it, but it's just so tone deaf. And uh, I feel so bad for those wrestlers. I, I saw a list of all the wrestlers who were like, not going to do it, not going to do it. And well, I appreciated I them. Like, so you had said something interesting to me, which was that this is over text. And I, maybe I misread the text, but I said, I'm glad Roman Reigns pulled out. Right. And you said, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. I don't think it was his choice. Yeah. And I don't, and I think he pulled in his own accord, but what, what did you mean by that? You think like WWE officials really told him not to wrestle? No, I thought that um, he wasn't legally capable. Like, I thought there was some sort of uh, interference or intervention from the law of whatever. Like, dude, if you're, if you're immunocompromised, you can't. I'm sure that if there wasn't, like, a law for that, Roman would have did it. I don't know if he did it on his own accord. I think the the public optics is that he did. And so if he said he did, then he did. I'm going to take his word for it. But I didn't get the news that way. So from what I'm seeing on Twitter is that, yeah, he pulled out on his own accord. And if he did, good on him. That could that, that was probably a, a devastating, like, um, a devastating decision to make. Because you know you're Vince's guy. You know you're the leader of this locker room. You know you're the biggest face in the company right now. And so that must have been hard, especially because storyline-wise, they they brought Bill Goldberg in, you know, for this reason. Spear versus spear. Yeah. Versus spear. yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, but either way, so that's what I thought. But maybe you were right, and you got you got proper news. I. It sounds like that's what they're going with. Okay. Well, I guess I just because, like, to me, like, I'm not sure if there was any legal reason why he couldn't wrestle. I just think that he knows, hey, dude, I've survived cancer twice. I must not have, like, the best immune system. WWE is not really testing any of us. I'm not going to do it. But maybe he didn't think in that way, and someone really did just come in and say, hey, let's not do it. And that's totally possible because Vince may be insane, but if, like, Triple H or, like, Steph or Shane or Kevin Dunn or whoever went into his ear and said, hey, Vince, this guy could die if he gets sick, I can see Vince pulling the plug. But I thought it was Roman that pulled the plug himself, but who knows? I, I don't know. You're probably right. I want you to be right. Um, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. But it's it's the right it's the right choice, man. Um, what happens if one wrestler who wrestles on the show gets coronavirus and dies? Um, oh, see, well, who, that, that's a whole who's whole responsible. Thing. But I, I would imagine WWE. I think about that with the UFC. Like the UFC hasn't been able to put on a show. But they want to. And I was thinking, like, man, if someone's cornerman gets it, if some uh, buddy in the commission gets it, if a fighter gets it and they die, like, your ass is on the hook. Like, how could it not be? Like, supposedly, The Miz had it, right? Which is why he's not wrestling. Hmm. And that's why some wrestlers got pissed because they were like, why didn't, why did The Miz still try to wrestle when he was feeling sick? Like, it's stuff like that where I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, if they're playing with fire, like, fighters and wrestlers aren't going to say, I feel a little under the weather, you know? Like wrestling of all sports, you know, um, <laughs> should have been the first one to pull out. Yeah. <laughs> You're, really there, there, there's sweat, there's tears, there's blood. Um, it's disgusting. Like it's a disgusting, like the mat. It's just gross, man. You know, um, they use a new mat every single fucking time they wrestle, like for a reason. Um, people get staff you know, just normally for doing, for just wrestling, you know, and not showering immediately after. And so I just don't think, um, 
I don't know if it was a money thing or what. I mean, it's just Vince McMahon's stubbornness, right? Like, who doesn't want this to happen? I, I'd imagine it's it's so strange um, and disgusting. And I will say that, like, two four-hour shows, like, I, why would I want to watch that? I don't want to watch that. I, I, I don't well, know if it's, like, if I'm getting older or if I'm getting, like, more uncool or all the above, but, like, I am increasingly don't give a fuck about... Um, like I can't watch everything. It has to yeah. be special. It has to be really good for me to give yeah. it my attention, man. And I think about that because last day WrestleMania was in New York, and it wasn't really in New York, but it was kind of New York. And I could have gone, and I was like, eh, I don't really want to go. You know what I mean? And that seemed like impossible a few years ago. I would have gone, but I know. I don't know. It's just like for for me, it's like wrestling is just the like all the WrestleManias. Like when was the last time? Like a main event felt like a big deal in the tent, in the audience. Like I was watching WrestleMania 30, right? And this is the one everyone points back to. Mm-hmm. But like the crowd for that moment was so hot. Like when um, Triple H comes out and pulls him out, the fans are fucking like livid. When it looks like um, Randy Orton's about to pin Batista, or Batista's about to pin Randy Orton. Like there's a great moment towards the end of the match, and I uh, Batista Batista bombs Orton. Brian's out of the ring. And you can just see the crowd going, holy shit, they're not going to do it. Give it to Brian. Right. And then fucking Randy Orton kicks out a 2.9999. <laughs> and it's like, everyone is like super hyped for that. Yeah. And it's like, and it's like moments like that don't really like happen every year, unfortunately. And they never have been every year. But like, I was just watching that and I was like, man, like when's the last time a WrestleMania main event felt that big, you know? Um, yeah, I would say 30. And I would say before that, um, 20. Quite honestly, yeah, yeah, because because like, uh, and this is like, yeah, because like, what's been like the most recent main events? It's like been a bunch of Roman Reigns Lesnar matches, and one of those matches was really good, but you know, just no one really wanted it. And then uh, there was the Becky and Charlotte match, or no, the Becky and Ronda and Charlotte match, and that one was was good, but I felt like the feud kind of had lost steam. Like it peaked in November, but they kept they held on to it. You know what I mean? Hmm. And then. um and they almost did that with the Brian feud too. Like I felt like, I just Brian was so over it didn't matter. But like I felt like he was peaking, like in January. You know what I mean? But they just kind of kept him on ice until April. Um, but well, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I think before Punk left, I don't think Brian was in the cards to. He wasn't going to be in the main event. I think at the time, they were toying with Brian and Sheamus again, completely <laughs> disregarding the audience. But when Punk left, I think they knew that no. No, we need. I think the audience knew. Like, no, we we need to have our main event. Fuck this, and um, obviously Triple H is like, well, I got I got to get in on this, you know, for sure. Like he always does. <laughs> yeah, no, but that that was such a like that to me. And this was after I stopped watching wrestling. But for me, like just being an old school Ring of Honor guy, like seeing Daniel Bryan like finally win the title, and seeing him like tap out Dave Batista, I was like, man. Uh, that's that, that's the end of the wrestling I guess I wanted, you know. And I kind of stopped after that. <laughs> but um, you know, but no, the, just... the last time we saw wrestling together, um, Roman defeated Taker at the main event. Mm-hmm. Remember that? I almost forgot. And uh, that should have, could have been the last time we ever saw the Undertaker. And it felt like wrestling ended, storyline wise. Yeah. There, you know, it was like this long canon, and then uh, I just kept going. It just kept going. And so it's just been bleeding ever since. Um, 
So do you care about WrestleMania? Are you going to watch it? Are you invested? I mean, it's two nights. Uh, How how else are you going to spend your time? It's going to be next Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, I probably will watch it just because, like you said, like, what the hell else am I going to do? Like, maybe I will will watch, like, you know, Cameron Crowe movie or something, but but who knows? Uh, But uh, so speaking of should have been the last match, um, Shawn Michaels had an extra match after Undertaker, right? He had that weird tag team match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was a uh, it was a bad match, but something when that match happened, I felt a little kind of ticked off. I I don't know if you felt the same way, because I was thinking, wait, if Sean always could have wrestled, why didn't he wrestle Punk? Why didn't he wrestle uh, Danny Bryan? Why didn't he wrestle AJ Styles, Samojo, whoever? You know, did you get that same feeling or not really? No, uh, just because I heard Sean has always been pretty consistent in that. Out of respect of The Undertaker, he would never come back. He came back to what he referred to Saudi as a glorified house show. So he doesn't consider it canon, even though it's televised and everything. And he did it with Taker. And so he was like, I'm only going to do it against this guy. So I don't think I've seen like a a table for three, I want to say, with AJ and Sean. And AJ's like, I... I walked up to Sean and I told him, here's what we could do. Sean's just like, nah, nah. Like I, I am not going to come out of retirement for any dream match, you know? Um, so I think no matter what the angle was or what the money was or the spot, whether it was punk, Daniel, AJ, Seth, like Joe, it wasn't going to happen because of the contingency with the undertaker. Um, I think he's kind of like bonded to him in that way. Uh, maybe they're gay lovers. I don't know, but um, but that's what he said consistently throughout this time. And so, uh, I actually couldn't watch that match. I couldn't watch. Yeah, it. I never watched it either. Yeah. I never watched it either. I couldn't I watch just it for, he- just because uh, I know it's so petty. But I couldn't see bald Shawn Michaels wrestle in Saudi Arabia. I could not. <laughs> I could not. Oh man. Um, yeah, man, as we're winding down here, just, uh, with the Viceland documentary, I wasn't sure if there was anything else that we, that we left off the table. Um, I didn't expect us to, I didn't come into that, you know, with the broke back angle. Um, but now that you mentioned it, or not that you mentioned it, but now that I, I had thought about it, I remember feeling that way. I saw, I've seen part one twice and I've seen part two once. And I thought about that way each time I, I saw the installments and, um, the documentary, alludes to that in my opinion but any is there anything else you know like what did you think about um david benoit and and uh chavo basically being there the last person the last wrestler that both eddie and chris talked to like what did you well, that, yeah that's the last wrestler i think chavo is the last person to talk to both of them yeah. which is insane because because uh he said goodbye to eddie as soon as he went to that room and maybe eddie had called someone who knows that that's i've never heard that so I assume that he just, you know, went to sleep and then he woke up and died. And then with Chris, Chris's last phone call was to Chavo. Right. And I, I think, man, like that's, it's you talked to, you're the last person to talk to Eddie before he had his heart, heart attack. And then you're the last person to talk to Chris. But not only did he talk to Chris, you talked to Chris after he killed his family. Like that's got to weigh pretty heavily on Chavo. And I think that's why For Chavo sure. has been so giving to david right david benoit because like i don't know if he like feels bad or what like who knows right but i i think there's just like this like weird thing 
that like Chavo has to carry this like insane amount of weight on his shoulders that only you know a couple of people can understand like David and and uh Nancy's sister and stuff like that I think um I think Chavo and Jericho were probably friends of the family and were there when David was like a, a baby and stuff like that so it's great that that they were probably always in his life and I'm sure guilt and the uh the onus and the burden it plays a factor but I I think it's like secondary or or at the bottom you know I think they how could you not like it would be I mean I'm, sadly there's no one in my life that's like super close to my kids I can't think of somebody um but it would be like that like how could someone who grew up with my children not still be in their lives if like you know went berserk or something yeah. but yeah no, no, and I and I, and I hear you. I like especially. I'm I'm sure it is guilt, but I'm also I'm sure he was a fr he was always a friend of the family. That's what it felt like. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I guess I was just thinking about it just because, like, I don't know. Like, I've I've always felt like Chris Benoit was a little, like, <laughs> like he didn't have any that many friends, but but uh, he always he, had Eddie. One know, one maybe. thing uh, I don't like reading comments on YouTube, but with this documentary, I had to. Um, and one comment I saw was, how come Rey Mysterio wasn't interviewed? And what, what do you think about that? Oh, wait, no. Sorry, I'm going to unpack like a whole different thing. Okay. Uh, so I, I get back to that, what I'm about to say. But mm -hmm. when you were younger, did you ever feel like the tribute shows were a little exploitative or no? Like the Eddie and Own Heart one? I didn't. See, I, I did. Like, that's just me, right? And I definitely thought it was exploitative. How do you when mean? When after Eddie died. After Eddie died, Rey Mysterio was using that like as part of his gimmick. And I know that wasn't Ray. I know that was the writers. But I always thought that was a little weird. And when Chris Benoit died, I wonder if Vince wasn't seen clearly because he was just thinking, oh, great, I can do another tribute show. I can do, you know, yada, yada, yada. And he wasn't, think he wasn't seeing what was right in front of him, which is what Chris Benoit did. You, you get what I mean? Yeah, but the Crispin Wall bit, I I don't think uh, for the Eddie thing. I know what you mean. Like Rey Mysterio main events WrestleMania and wins the title, and it's all for Eddie. Um, how much of that uh, is contrived? How much of that is genuinely organic? You know. Yeah. I would hope that. I would. I mean, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's a hard one. I never felt that way. I never felt that way. It did feel like if that tragedy never happened, maybe Ray would have never won the big one. Sure, right? Um, but how could he not? You know how how could he not? I don't know. Yeah. So a strange. One. I guess like as far as like why did Ray? As far as like why is Ray not in the documentary? Um, I would just imagine it's probably two things. But one is that being on a WWE contract has to be one of them. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the major one. And the second thing is, I I don't know if Ray and Ben Wall were that close, you know. Like if they did a one on Eddie, and raised that interview, that's a little weird. But I feel um, hmm. Ray and Ben Wall probably are never that close, is my guess. I mean, but Chavo and Vicky were um, were interviewed, so uh, Malenko. That's true. You know, uh, it's kind of like a given, right? Like that Ray would have some input. Um, makes you think man it makes you really think uh gosh i don't know and i guess 
my you know it's the WWE thing had to have been like look you can't you're not going to you know for sure um i'm sure they put the they put their they drew a line in the sand but um it would have been interesting to have his perspective um i almost thought punk yeah. was going to come out for the sole fact that he was supposed to wrestle chris in his match oh yeah i was thinking about that too like um in some ways like like uh punk is really lucky that Benoit decided to kill himself instead of wrestle that last match. Like, can you imagine how Punk would feel if, that, like, he wrestled someone that literally just got done killing his wife and kid? Oh my god! Yeah. Well, we're all lucky. Because he wanted. Yeah, he he wanted to wrestle. That's what. That's what I heard and read, and, and the documentary kind of said as much because he was like, he was telling Chavo, "Hey, my kid and wife are sick. I'm taking care of them, but I I'm gonna go there Sunday," and they didn't kill himself until Sunday morning. So I think he probably was going to wait until after the match because that's just the weirdo he was and is, you know? Maybe. That could have been, I mean, the, again, that's just, that been the CTE, and we don't know. Yeah, true. Oh, man. True. I'm reading I'm reading some of these comments on, on the documentary. I, I saw it on Vice, but um, the, YouTube, the YouTube one's pretty cool. Um, it's just so sad. All this shit is so sad. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but I, I haven't seen anybody mention the, uh, the broke back theory. I know it sounds like I'm kind of trolling and I'm not, it's just a hard no, thing. No, it's it, a hard thing to say out loud it's, because it's so out no, there. No. It's true. Like, cause you, you saying it made me feel comfortable kind of saying it. Cause, uh, it's what I thought too, but I would never like openly say it to someone like, Hey, did you think they were like, because also the underlining thing with us saying it is it makes us seem like we're kind of homophobic. <laughs> you know what I mean? But oh, like, no, 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 exactly. Uh, no, not but at I think, all. Yeah. And, and and that's like the issue is like, but I thought the same thing. Like, why was Chris so broken up about it? You know, <laughs> you know like, and, you know, like, obviously, if you lose your best friend, it, it hurts. But going into your, your best friend's spouse's place and crying next to a, his pillow and, and just kind of being a wreck to like. I don't know. And then, like I said, Chavo had said that thing, which is kind of what really flipped it. It was like he was crying like for the spouse. Like, huh. that's what I thought. That's what I thought. But like, no one's, I don't think no one's going to mention it because it's, it's kind of disrespectful and it's also kind of maybe a little homophobic, you know? It's possible. Yeah. And, and it's disrespectful. Like, I kind of feel like people like in the community can't mention it. Like Chavo mm -hmm. can't mention it because it, dis it disrespects the Guerrero family name. And yeah. no one on Benwell's family can mention it because they're dead. But also, you know, there's no one out there who who could who could say, um, you know, I just think it's it's to me, say it's true. The broke back theory, say it's true that they had the, uh, an, an unrequited forbidden love. Um, say it's true. It, it, there's the missing piece. And there's why there's why, because when Eddie died, Chris died and. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? Yeah, and 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 not not only that, but he must have been like kind of resentful to his wife at that time. You know what I mean? Like the person that he really loved is gone, and then Nancy and him are having trouble. You know, and uh, like there's something the documentary didn't go into, or maybe it did. I forget now. Was like Vettel had a restraining order, or had a restraining order put on him. You know what I mean? Like, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like, they were in a, a a rough time towards the end, from what I heard. You know, and the documentary said as much. Like, 
they weren't really talking. Like Nancy staying with Vicky for a month. Like and Vicky didn't even mention why that is weird. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh man, sorry. I'm like so speechless. I'm um being a bad podcaster right now, but yeah, it no, just no, makes it, me. It, it just makes it, me think. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's the, that's the kind of the powerful thing about this story. Like even all these years later, like you know, we're both so so speechless. And I, I don't know, were, were you a Christian white guy growing up or no? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I remember one of my favorite feuds was um, Ben Juan Lesnar actually, and it was the first time Lesnar ever did this submission called the Brock Lock, and he never did it again. Where it was like a half Boston, but the 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 leg was behind his neck, and he kind of sat on your back. And Lesnar Lesnar and Ben Juan had a great submission match, and uh, the knife edge chops, and then also this is like kind of corny because you can't listen to it now, but like Chris Benoit's music, the Our Lady Peace version was dope. Um, uh, you know, the cage match with him and, and angle and the, the tribute match with Brett and Benoit was like the only WCW match I ever watched, um, for Owen. And, uh, I remember, uh, WrestleMania, the, the rumble going into WrestleMania 20 where Benoit wins the rumble. Oh, that was the best rumble. He match was my too. guy that I was going for. And, uh, yeah. and at the time it was like, you know, is he going to choose the SmackDown champion or the Raw champion, whatever? And we all knew, like, the real one, he had to beat Triple H. That was the real one. Yeah. Like, you know, and uh, God damn it. Like, yeah, he was he was one of my guys. He was the, um, like, the bar, like, the true wrestling, the true wrestler tough guy. He was, the like, the, like the shooter. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, he was the, no one was going to make Chris Benoit tap. Like, he was, like, an unbeatable legend, like, you know, when he was wrestling. Um, yeah and 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 the thing that it's kind of like the secondary or maybe even the third thing that kind of sucks about what happened with all that is like so many wrestlers kind of owe their career to him like i think of kurt angle like what legitimized him was his feuds with chris you know certainly and and i and i think about like all the great matches that are just now lost to history because no one wants to acknowledge them you know yeah i know there's and, there's so many there's so many matches like there i think there was a like a a TLC match, like TLC four or two or something, uh, back when you would number them. Now there's been too many. That happened on a SmackDown, and I think Jericho and Benoit won that one. And mm-hmm. and uh, it was just like all these matches that are just going to be forgotten. And uh, oh man, and now it just hitting me. But like one of my all time favorite matches was a tag team match. It was him and Angle versus Edge and Mysterio versus. I think it was Los Guerreros. It was yeah. no mercy, man. That match really blew the the roof off of, yeah. off of uh, off of that building. No, just like, I feel bad because like, I I I can't watch those matches, but those were the matches for me. You know, like all those SmackDown matches. Yeah. Like I haven't thought about that Lesnar feud in like, literally in years. But when you mentioned that ending, I remember that spot. You know, like no one brought. Yeah like that realism, that intensity to their matches quite like Benoit did. Mm-hmm. For sure. And also, you know, his finisher, you know, Crippler Crossface, man, was like the most legit finisher. Uh, I remember my buddy Serge that I'd wrestle with, that was his finisher, you know, and if he had me in it, I, ta- I tapped him in it so many times, you know, like I respected the finisher. Um, WrestleMania 20 was my favorite WrestleMania main event for years. Um, and I think... Um, 
the triple threat. I love triple threats and fatal four ways are like my favorite gimmick. Um, <laughs> but the triple threat with Batista Orton and Daniel was like finally a new main event that that mattered when the right champion won. The celebration was there, you know, the stars aligned. Like it takes ten years to build that organically, you know, and like the audience has to choose it and they have to listen and they have to tease us and it's just like such a beautiful dance and um i think it was 10 years between daniel and and uh and benoit that we had that and man that was my favorite main event for a long time and i don't go back and watch benoit matches i i can't um it's impossible mm-hmm. who is this guy facetiming me <laughs> i don't know who that is i I feel bad. Um, such a cool name, though. Anyways, man. Uh, any uh, any last words? Like, you know, uh, how do you want to wrap this fucker up? Anything else you want to get into? I'm 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 just like now depressed. But um, yeah, no, me re- too. Like it's reading these a- comments, and I can't find one person that that is mentioning this theory. Um, I I see a lot of like, wow, we all knew that Chris and Eddie were close, but we didn't know they were that close. I've, I I read a lot of um that Chris and Eddie were soulmates. I think there's something to that, but no one has said potentially that they were lovers. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, uh, you know, I feel so bad because I usually I'm in such a, a good mood after talking to you, but yeah, just yeah. kind of no, like, it's, it's good. I feel it's, so down. Not, it's not you. But yeah, no, it's the subject matter. Uh, but I guess, uh, what can be the last quick, nice thing we can talk about before going? Um, no, I don't know. I mean, I'll like, say this. The thing that- uh, this is random as fuck. Um, I had wrote a movie, and I had money to make it, and I even allocated in the budget. Uh, I was gonna show it at the Border Theater just because I know I can, I can sell two to three hundred tickets there, and um, was talking to actors, was looking at Airbnbs to like find a a location to film it, and then this happened with the coronavirus. And so it put into perspective, oh, this is, just a, this is just bad timing to make a movie. And also, how could I ask someone to pay $5 to watch a movie? Especially when there's uh, HBO Go and Netflix and Disney Plus, and you pay, what, $10 for Disney, and you get all the Star Wars and Marvel movies, and it's just like all the Simpsons episodes. Like, how can you compete with that? And I, I, I put out there on Facebook, hey, if I made a movie during this quarantine time and I put it out there for you to purchase between one to $10, how much would you pay to watch this movie? Some people were really cool and they were like $10. And I was just like, I don't think you would. Uh, I just realized I'm saying this on a podcast now. (laughs) I just forget that I'm not just talking to you, but, uh, and some people, filmmakers said $1 filmmakers said $1. And I wanted to tell them, why the fuck do you expect that anybody would ever pay for more than $1 for your shit? If that's what you're willing to pay. And yeah, for sure. I, it's hard for me to really love filmmaking right now during this. It's really hard, man, because it requires people. It's self-indulgent. It's just entertainment essentially. Um, and I want to, I mean, shit, if I had three buddies down here and we were making stuff, I think we would make stuff, but it's so hard like by yourself to find the will to make it important because it's not. Yeah. How do you, how do you wrestle with creativity right now? 
No, uh, you know, like, so this is like, so, so like, it feels like forever ago, but I was getting really into making TikToks, right? And I was having fun with them. Yeah. And I just kind of stopped. And I think this whole pandemic thing kind of, kind of zapped a little bit of my creativity. Like I've heard so many people say like, oh, this is the time to write. This is the time to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But for me, I just like, I, I don't feel that, you know what I mean? And, yep. um, but to piggyback off what you said, uh, about, uh, filmmakers not wanting to support filmmakers or whatever, yeah. I think about that because, uh, so I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's a popular film magazine here in New York and it's kind of, you know, worldwide, it's called film comment and it just recently shut down. And oh, a lot man. of my film critic friends were like, oh, that's such a blow. And, you know, a lot of people got laid off and it sucked, but. I wanted to like tell them like, man, when's the last time you guys have ever bought like that magazine? <laughs> you know, when's the last time? And like, and I know what their answer would be. They'd be like, oh, I have it in years. It's like, of course, these things go out of business. No one supports it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like no one thinks film there's, criticism or film. There's that. Reviews are but, but also, let's be real. Tech companies have killed it. Oh, right? yeah, for sure. I mean, like, that's like, like the real tw- thing. Like Twitter took yeah. that place. Netflix took the place of like indie films. Like there is no, I feel so bad. Like uh, name a name an actor you like, but that has never won an Academy Award. Uh, Shia LaBeouf. Okay, perfect example. So Shia LaBeouf uh, makes a movie, and he mm-hmm. makes and he does his best. You know, he directs a movie, writes it, produces it. It's probably not going to make its money back. It's probably not going to matter yeah that sucks and guess what you and me we ain't Shia LaBeouf <laughs> who's gonna care <laughs> about true. our movie mm-hmm. no that, that I mean sucks and not just not, not just that man but I watched I rewatched Jerry Maguire yesterday and there's so many scenes in that movie that are like kind of iconic like I'm not sure if you're a fan of that movie but yeah, you, like you know it. what I mean right? yeah no I like I, I just re- recently watched uh, Almost Famous in Vanilla Sky yeah and I was thinking, like, man, movies like this don't really get iconic status anymore. Like, you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, when's the when's the next big romantic comedy going to come out or, even, or just romantic film going to come out where people are going to be, like, able to quote, uh, you had me at hello or like, you know what I mean? There's so many, like, yeah, so many classic scenes in that movie. Mm-hmm. But no one can remember a scene from any movie nowadays because there's so many things now. Like, right. I love... Uh, fandom thread yeah. you know and there's some things that i consider kind of classic in that movie yeah but you know it's classic to me and like two other people you know what i mean yeah where when like movies like Jerry Maguire came out it was like this was this was culture and now films are no longer like culture and uh, yeah. and it's been that way for a while but i guess it just like hit me yesterday when i was watching Jerry Maguire how that how that is yeah it's funny um with my job um last year september through november i was on the road every week i was in Denver, places I'd never been, Seattle, um, North Carolina. I was in, gosh, I want to say like Arizona at one point and all these places. It was cool. California. And I'm on the road. It's cool. I felt like, okay, this is my job. And then um, I had, I went to Hawaii. I went to DC for a week each. And then uh, I stopped traveling because that's just the way it goes in, in my, in the company I work for and the nonprofit space. And so, I knew, I mean, I didn't really know that I wasn't going to be on the road for a few months. 
And so I got work to do and I'm editing and organizing and managing and all this stuff. And it's cool. I'm working, getting paid. And uh, I didn't travel again until March. Like the first week of March, I went to Florida. And uh, before that, like when I went to Hawaii, it was hard to have a good time because I knew like I wasn't with my family. So I wasn't going to be posting like me drinking margaritas by the beach. Not that I'm that person, but it was kind of hard to have a good time. But when I went to yeah. Florida after being cooped up in the house for a few months working from home, I was I didn't give a fuck about my family. Like I had a good time, <laughs> you know, like I didn't feel guilty is what I meant. And uh, I was gone. I was away from them just for a couple of days. And when I came back, I was like, "Woo! let's get back on the road. I was going to travel. I was going to go to Florida, Florida again the next week. I was going to go to go to Chicago the week after that. And I had I was going to go to Europe and go to Germany and London in the summer. And this happened. South by got canceled the day after I came back. And um, yeah. now I'm stuck in the house again. And I, I, for a while, like during the first week of quarantine, I was having these apocalyptic dreams. And I remember, um, I haven't told anybody this, but I had a scare where um, I woke up with the biggest fucking migraine and a fever. And I was like, fuck. And I'm like in bed and I'm Googling like symptoms for the coronavirus. And I, I didn't have, uh, I have asthma, but I didn't have respiratory issues. And so I was like, fuck. I took a lot of ibuprofen, chugged a lot of water, and I slept for 24 hours. I lost the day. I slept for a whole day. Woke up and I was fine. I was like, thank yeah. God. But I got scared, man. I was like, oh, fuck. Like if this happens, I'm going to die. Like I literally had that fear. But I had this uh, fever dream like an actual fever dream. And it, it was a, there was a thunderstorm outside in real life. You know, I sleep right next yeah. to a window. There was a thunderstorm. And I think that had something to do with the fever dream as well. And I had a dream that I caused the coronavirus. I had a dream that it was my fault. And everybody that was quarantined now had to feel the depression that I had felt these past couple of months being stuck at home. And I was like, haha, now, now you have to feel what I feel. Because there's so many extroverts out there like me who do not like this. It's hard. And, um, so I've been like, it's been a big mind fuck, like all these feelings, you know, like I want to go out, I want to, I want to work and I want to go out and I want to explore. And I'm so grateful that my company has like a virtual system built in. Like we, we, we work remotely and mobily. And so now we're translating what we did out in the field online. And it's great. Like, that's so cool. They're, they're kind of futurists in that way. And they're really, they're really like leading the charge there. And I'm grateful. I'm one of the lucky ones, you know, like I got my job still. What you were saying earlier at the top of the show about you don't feel safe going to work. Like that makes me so sad. And so many people in the service industry are fucked right now. And it's terrible. And uh, I'm one of the lucky ones. And, and having said all that, to make a movie and then charge people for it right now? Like, how could I do that? I can't, you know, I can't compete, like, and not in a self-defeatist way, but just like the stories that I have to tell. In 2004 would have been really cool when, when you had, filmmaking was the only game in town and it's not. And so I've been really sad, too sad to make TikToks. That's sad. I've been too sad to even make podcasts, you know, like, Doing the one that I did last week with with Clara was fun. Doing with Christian and Jeremy, which by the way, Christian wasn't booked. He just wanted to jump in and he did and it was cool. And then doing this one with you is great. Like we're making art right now. Like I love it. But boy, man, anytime, and I'm happy I get to tell you this, and, and this isn't in a bad way. I want you to know that like this isn't bitter. This is 
um, just looking at the other side of the of the fence and like the grass looks greener. Like when I see you post pictures of you and your friends, I'm like, man, I'd give anything for that. I'd give anything to have two, three buddies that I can make art with. Like that's what this has taught me. And I've known this for a while. Like I would give anything for just a couple of friends to go make some cool stuff with. And back in my day when I would make backyard wrestling videos, that's why we did it. That's why we did it was to hang out. And so I could have something to edit, you know, and I would cut music to it. And I was editing on Windows Movie Maker at the time with a three megapixel camera um, and a, I think it was like 128 megabyte SD card. Um, and that's what I lived for, man, um, after these chair shots and concussions. But going back to my house and rewatching the footage with my homies, like that's what I lived for, for sure. And I miss that and I'd give anything for that. And being stuck in a house right now is so hard. And I know it's temporary, but even when, this, when, when we go back to normal, um, that movie that I wanted to make that I was so pumped for just a week before this, I just kind of feel like a fraud or something. Like, it's just not important. It's just not important, you know? Um, for God's sakes, Childish Gambino released an album that nobody cared about, <laughs> you know? It's yeah. it's weird. Yeah. Not, um, and I'll stop talking. Yeah, not, not, like, yeah The Weeknd released an album. I, I've been thinking about that too. Like, just, like, I don't know how people... I don't know. Like, it's just like, I know the world's still spinning and things are still getting released. And, you know, I watched uh, that Vin Diesel movie that came out, right? What I don't know yeah. what it's called, but you know what I'm talking about. Bright Bloodline Spot, Bloodline, story, right? yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, okay. <laughs> it's just like, I, like I've like i kind of lost, like, kind of like the ability to like enjoy things a certain way. Like, you know, I have to like watch like comfort films, you know, like I watch Can't Hardly Wait and that one got me a little happy, you know? That's a good one. But if I'm like trying to watch something like that I'm not used to, I just feel uncomfortable. <laughs> it's somewhat. It's hard. Um, I feel the same way. I watch Inherent Vice. Like, how many times can I see this movie? And like you said, um, when you mentioned Phantom Pain, that's me with Inherent Vice. I don't have anybody like that I can talk to inside jokes with. Like the way the Big Lebowski is like just kind of in the lexicon. I can't do that with um, Inherent Vice, and it's like one of my favorite movies ever. And it, it kind of just like, it's like it didn't happen, you know? Um, and that makes me really sad because I'll never make something as good as that with Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon and Benicio Del Toro and all these legends. Like, so Owen it's Wilson, yes. Owen Wilson and what's his name? Um, Thanos and all these fucking guys. Like, I just can't. I just, it's hard, man. And so I'm trying to find, and I don't know why it's so difficult to find this like pocket. And the podcast is that it's that, but I want like more, um, of just being creative and being and having fun. And like TikToks was that for a while. And, and I'm going to get back into that. Like it was really fun, but it's, it's hard when I'm just fucking cooped up, you know? And, uh, and it's hard to like, I, there's so many condescending artists that are talking about the coronavirus right now and being like, and kind of like making like, a content about it in a way that to me is exploitative and also phony and i'm like don't do this don't do that you know what i mean like i've just been kind of quiet about the whole thing and um i, I just i don't know what to do with all this energy man like I, I don't know and so when i see that uh you and your buddies are making a movie and and all that like i can't wait to support it and i think it's cool and hopefully most you know hopefully it does come out you know um i'm sure you guys maybe have more to film or something but 
There's <laughs> oh wait. Speaking of which, I guess we can end on this note. But I, uh, I had saw the. Um, so as you know, we've been filming uh, Fernie and Luca for a while now, right? Yeah. And uh, by design, you know, we're supposed to shoot it in seasons, and mm-hmm. we have like about three fourths fourths of it shot. So Andrew showed us a rough cut, and it was really good. And I was like bummed out because I know we probably won't be able to shoot the last part for a few months, and it, I got kind of sore about it because i was thinking like man i knew we should have shot in early march or <laughs> or late february but it just you know wasn't in the cards unfortunately yeah. but um it, it sucks because that movie is so good but it probably will get delayed you know by at least a few months you know for sure what what is the like the rollout strategy for for andrew for like, that one yeah uh so we we've had internal discussions uh for me i just said release it online you know uh because our friend and i won't mention names but he's going to be releasing something tomorrow and i'm excited to see how that that does really uh, where's he releasing yeah it? where can i find it well I, I, t- I tweeted out of course when it comes out it's uh he's he's uh knowing him it's probably going to be vimeo or youtube but um we'll see you know maybe he has different plans but uh but so i have to do something similar with Freddie and luca but then the actors all want the festival uh andrew of course has some connections so they want to premiere the movie and and so it's just like this whole thing like graham had just premiered um shoot the moon on no budge right and it did really well it got like five thousand views it was pretty amazing (laughs) but uh but yeah i mean i I don't know what's the proper way to to do a rollout in 2020 uh especially with all this going on because you know who even wants to go to a festival this year you know yeah I will say, like, here was my plan for I, I wrote a movie and I, finally a character that I loved and it just came together. And I had it had been percolating for a few years. And so when I dumped it all out and wrote it, um, it was kind of fully formed. And my idea was um, I was going to make I was I wanted to sell at least 200 tickets, five bucks a piece at the border theater. My idea was do a pre-sale um, two weeks before the mission premiere. And I was going to film a documentary behind the scenes of me making this movie. And I was going to take my documentary crew, crew to the border theater. And the way the documentary would end would be the premiere, right? We'll do the Q and a and all that. And so cool. Um, so was, I was going to be making two movies for the price of one. And have the premiere, which is also like a test audience. Cool. The movie makes its money back. I had a budget of 2500 bucks, And I could make that money back at the Border Theater. I've done it before, and I was going to do it again and sell it really, really hard. Use the footage of the documentary, the podcast that I was going to film with the cast and crew, the behind-the-scenes footage, use the movie, whatever, to push it hard one more time. And I'll have like buddies that are critics like you – my friend Robert Longoria, Dave, write some blurbs about the thing. Cool. Um, and then push for a Twitch premiere and live stream it across all the platforms so that you can, um, I forget what it's called, uh, where you can stream on everything, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, at the same time. And I wanted to see, you have to try these things to know what works and what doesn't work. So, like, how would you release a movie nowadays? Like, you have to try 
you've done Vimeo, and so you know how you would do it differently next time. You have to try the theater approach to see, do people still go out for this? You know, is it worth it? Even if we have 100 people, that's dope, you know? Um, do people still come out for that? You know, get, getting the feedback from the crowd is the most precious thing you can do. It's like a glorified, um, uh, what do they call it? Like Disney does it all, test audience, you know? Um, and then the, the Twitch premiere would be, you know, people can tip for that. And so how much money can you make? You know, do you peak at 50 views? Like in all these things. And then, and then you do a Vimeo release or whatever. So like, it's a, it's a multiple run, right? It's kind of like touring your thing. And if you wanted, you could do the festival route. I don't care about that. Me. Uh, I just don't think like, I don't know, Netflix is going to buy my thing. You know, uh, I was going to film it on a red and all that. And so I would have met the qualifications, but you just never know. You put it on prime. It lives on prime, you know, like my buddy Mark did. Um, but like you have to try everything to know what works and to find your audience. What if, what if on Twitch it blows up? I mean, I don't know. What if on, what if I sell, um, 200 tickets, you know, based on my email list and based on, you know, just cold calls and stuff like that at the border. I mean, I, I don't know. Right. So you have to, you have to try everything. And like, at the end of the day, you want to make your money back and you want to make enough to make another one. That's all we can do. Yeah. Yeah. No, speaking of, of which, uh, I'm not sure if I told you the story yet, but whenever uh, Dave came down to New York, he uh, he was talking with uh, Graham and Andrew and they were discussing her doppelganger. And after Dave uh, told us how he how the uh, her doppelganger premiere went, we were thinking, like, what if the the future for for like smaller films is to kind of do like those micro premieres, you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And also like, you know, if you network well, you know, I've said this before, I think, um, you know, her doppelganger, we sold it out. It's so strange. Like I look back, we were nobodies. No one knew who Knives Monroe was. The movie looked okay. So when it came to the Seven Hands of God premiere, I thought, I don't, you know, it's going to sell itself. And half the people yeah. showed up with Seven Hands of God. And I, I remember thinking like, well, why? You know, the movie was shot on a red. It looked better. You know, we promoted it pretty okay. Um, and it occurred to me that, no, when I was selling her doppelganger, when I was pushing it, promoting it, I showed up to people's houses. I was going to people's houses. I was calling people. Everybody I knew and could know, I called to show up. And I think that's why they did. So... You know, your little crew, that sounds condescending, but you know what I mean? Like you, Andrew, and yeah. Graham, like, know a lot of people. And so um, I think you guys could get four or 500 people to show up. You know, I really do. If you care, don't expect them to. You're not entitled to them to show up. But truthfully, man, like, if you sell it, you market it right, you have teasers, trailers, posters, you're doing podcasts, you're doing promotion, you're showing it to critics, people that you trust, blah, 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 you know, um, go on other people's podcasts. Like if you guys push it, yeah, you can make your money back. Like how much is, uh, Fernie and Luca, how much did it cost under 10? Right. Oh yeah. yeah you, sure. I mean, so you can make your money back and, and that's all we can do, man. And like the goal is hopefully you just get really, really good. <laughs> you got to get good at it, you know? And so, uh, and then you attract the right people that, that want you to do something for them and so on. Like, that's how this game goes. It's just a long one. It's a long game, you know. Um, I don't know what Dave said about all that, but um, 
we just got lucky that that model worked for us at that time. We were so lucky. And it was strange. Like, um, we didn't pay for any advertising or anything. And it was just like, it really spoiled me. I can't say for Dave, but it spoiled me and just thinking, oh yeah. So the next time it's going to, it's going to happen again, but no, you have to sell your pants off every single time. And if you have a good product, it makes the sales part easy. You know, surely you, you believe in the thing that you love, you know, um, truthfully, man, like I found, um, the hardest part of filmmaking is, uh, like once you have it in the can, it's easy. Like I think the sale part, marketing part is easy. It's, it's, um, it's not compromising and making the thing that you want and loving the thing that you have. That's the hard part. Like what, what were moments in guys like us where you're like, Oh, I got that. I got that shot. That's all I need. I got a movie because I got that shot or I got that sequence or <laughs> this actor said this thing. Ooh, that's, I'm going to build everything around that because I got that in the can or, you know what I mean? Like what were moments that were like first downs for you? Oh man, it's, it's kind of, well, for, for me, I, I kind of knew. So the first thing we shot wasn't in the film. So that kind of tells you how, how it began. And then the next thing we shot, it was a scene between Alex and PO3 and it was a really good scene. Like we shot it well. It's uh, it had the things I wanted, and and I I kind of felt it was good. And then I want to say later because 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 the first half of guys like us was shot with one camera, and the second half was shot with another camera. So early on, there was a scene between Alex and PL3. And it's like the big emotional scene in the movie, where like Alex is like, "You can't wrestle you, you know, you're crippled or whatever," and he like walks off, and then PL3 gets pissed off. And then I actually gives him a hug. And I kind of knew after that, I was like, oh, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the wrestling scenes were really early on. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of thought those were pretty badass. Uh, but it was for me, it, was, it wasn't so much like there was a scene where I was like, oh, that's good. It was more so like my confidence got built up after every scene itself, you know. Like by the time I went back to West Dakota to film the office stuff of Christian and Jesse, it was like everything was clicking. You know, I was like, oh, man, we got this like tracking shot to work yeah. when like if it, we tried that on the first day it was never gonna work you know but yeah i knew that it could work because we had just done like 10 11 yeah. days of shooting yeah and i know what's possible you know yep that's the best feeling man i i miss that i really do um yeah, same here yeah. same here that's kind of that's kind of why i've been wanting to make a movie like you it, it i wasn't like where you were at but i had like written the script about um I, it was a good idea too so i just kind of say it but it was like it was going to be about these two artists from Texas, right? Like painters, like Laura, uh, who came to New York, but they were kind of having a bad go at it. And they decide that they want to kind of like moonlight as like underground fighters, because this was back when New York City, there was going to be like a sort of period piece. Mm-hmm. It was going to be back when like New York City wasn't allowing legalized MMA. So in my fictionalized world, like there was like these underground tournaments and they were using that to kind of make money. But one of them ends up being a pretty good fighter, and the other kind of washes out. And the other fight, the other, the one that kind of washes out starts painting the fighting, you know, blood, the brutality. And his paintings start getting big, and that kind of uh, forms a rift between the French, the friendship. Uh, that one person is like getting killed for like dimes, and this guy's painting that and getting like a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. it was gonna be a pretty cool movie, but unfortunately, I have to kind of put a pause on it. <laughs> it's hard, man. Like. One thing that's happened over the past, and that does sound like a good movie, 
it just sounds like hard to make, right? Um, in my opinion, yeah. it sounds <laughs> yeah, expensive. Exactly. It sounds expensive. Um, dude, it's it's so cheap to make a movie, a really pretty, like good looking, good sounding one is what I mean. Technically, like it's so cheap, it's so fucking cheap. That's what drives me crazy. Um, I don't care anymore, and I used to for a very long time, more than anything, about like this movie is gonna be the one that like gets me on Conan O'Brien, you know, whatever success <laughs> yeah. looks like. Yeah. I don't oh, care about to be that way too. I don't care about that anymore. I just want the I just want cool people to think it's cool, you know, cool people that I like, that I respect. It's like wrestling. Like I just want the boys in the locker room and the girls to to be like good match and shake my hand. That's all I care about. <clears throat> um, and it's so cheap to make a movie. Like, dude, you could, if you know what you're doing, like you could rent an Alexa or a red and, and um, for a couple of days and we know how to do it now, like get all the shots. And once you have the footage, like, you know, go chop something up. And, you know, I've never been like, I, I didn't make my, I made my first feature in 2012 and I made a second feature in 2014. And then I made my first short film in 2015. Like I went backwards and um, I was like, oh, short films are cool. Short films are where it's at. I remember thinking like, oh, I can make short films, you know, and also to the public, they don't care. You know, uh, people are going to watch everything on their phones anyways. And so um, you can make a gorgeous looking short film, you know, um, what's the whole purpose of making a 75 minute movie anyways? That yeah, paradigm no has is totally changed. It's, it's a... Uh, you know, hey, if it's five hours, cool. If it's 15 minutes, and that's what it is, right? Um, but there's all these little incentives to me that drive me crazy because I'm like, look, you know, 20-year-old me, if I had what I have now, I'd be making a fucking movie, you know? Um, right now, it's like it drives you crazy as a creative to to be shackled and you can't do it. Um, but that's why I asked you, man, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best to support whatever it is you do. And so... Let me know when that movie comes out, man. I, I want to support it. I think Andrew's like a really um, good visual storyteller, better than me. You know, like I, I, it's terrible. I should never like DP my own stuff. But, um, but like I, I've had to do everything. Like um, I would love to just, it seems so bougie to just tell someone like, can you get this shot? Can you get this shot? Can you get, hey, I'm going to direct the actors and then tell an editor yeah, can you do this? I've had to do everything, you know? Um, and so it's hard and that's why, you know, my products look and sound like shit like sometimes, but, um, but y'all and your crew is just so cool, you know? And so protect that. And I hope everybody's safe and healthy down, uh, up there. And, um, we're going to get through this and I cannot fucking wait. Hopefully it, it doesn't last forever, but I want to go back and uh, I'm going to re really appreciate, like, hugging people a lot more when this is over. Oh, yeah. Same. <laughs> All right, man. So um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It, I'm glad we were we started off talking about the Snyder Cut, and, and now here we are. Uh, I, I can't have a conversation with, with you uh, without bringing up guys like us. So sorry about that. It's just, it's just going to be fine. what it's going to be. Keep making TikToks, uh, man. Oh, yeah, well, I was having so much fun doing it, too. So hopefully I can find inspiration again. Yeah, do that. I love you, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Okay, I love you, too, man. See ya. Take care, brother.